Hello, my name is Wang Yan, and I am a reporter with News China. With our weekly News China podcast, we aim to give insight into the trends and happenings in modern China through a historical lens. Today, we discuss translation among different cultures in ancient China. Chinese parents invest a lot in English language education for their children. English is a major subject in China's curriculum from primary schools to college. However, Xu Jin, a member of the Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference, the top political advisory body, recently proposed to remove English from the national college entrance exam. One of his reasons is that computers can do a very good job of translation. A few days later, top diplomats from China and the U.S. met in Akarash, Alaska, for the first talks between the two countries for the Biden administration. Zhang Jing, an interpreter for the Chinese delegation, impressed the world with a 16-minute non-stop fluent translation into English. Translation has served as a bridge between civilizations for thousands of years. In ancient China, government translators facilitated communication with ethnic groups and foreigners. As it was not a senior position, not much was recorded about them, but a few of them did have long-lasting influence on China's history. To the ears of Chinese speakers, the name Tang Yifu sounds strange. It's not a proper name, but rather means a servant of a senior official in Tang Yi, an area now in Jiangsu province. He was a Hong soldier captured by the Western Han army. In 139 BCE, Emperor Wu of the Western Han sent a 100-member delegation to Yuezhi, a kingdom originally in today's northwest China. The mission was to seek an alliance with Yuezhi against the Huns. However, they had to pass through land controlled by the Huns. Tang Yifu served as the delegation's guide and interpreter. But on the way, the Huns detained them. They later forced the delegation's leader, Zhang Qian, to marry one of their own in the hopes he would eventually forget about his mission. But Zhang Qian never did. Ten years later, Zhang Qian escaped with Tang Yifu's help. They continued their journey to Yuezhi, but by that time, the people of Yuezhi had already been driven further west by the Huns. Zhang Qian's team had to cross the dangerous desert. Oftentimes, their only food came from animals that Tang Yifu hunted. The new Yuezhi settlement was far from the threat of the Huns and rich in water and grassland. They ultimately refused to ally with Western Han. One year later, Zhang Tian and his team began their journey home. Although they chose a tougher route to avoid capture, the Huns caught up with them once again. Another year would go by. Then, as the Huns were busy dealing with internal unrest, Tang Yifu saw another chance and escaped with Zhang. Thirteen years after the delegation set off, 
Only Zhang Tian and Tang Yifu returned to the Western Han capital of Chang'an, today's Xi'an in Shanxi province. A few years later, the Western Han defeated the Huns. The nomadic warriors could no longer block exchange between the Western Han and other regions to the empire's west. Zhang Tian, knowledgeable about those areas, led another diplomatic mission. This time, it was smooth and successful. Cultural exchange and trade between China and the West along the Silk Road began and prospered for hundreds of years. Zhang Tian's venture paved the way for the Silk Road, but Zhang Tian could not have achieved this without the bravery and the loyalty of his interpreter and guide Tang Yifu. He and Zhang Tian received high honors from the Western Han Emperor. Both were written into the historical records by Sima Tian, the father of the Chinese historiography. This is a much higher honor than any official title. An important result of the early link between China and the rest of the world along the Silk Road is the introduction of new religions to China. Between the end of the Western Han at the start of the Eastern Han around 2,000 years ago, Buddhism, Christianity, and Manichaeism from Persia, for example, reached China. But it was Buddhism that spread throughout China. Perhaps a reason for that is Buddhism fits well with the Chinese culture, but the contributions of translators cannot be ignored. The most famous translator of Buddhist scripture in ancient China is Xuanzang, a monk in the 7th century during the early Tang Dynasty. His experiences were the basis of the novel Journey to the West, one of the four classic Chinese novels. Nearly every Chinese child knows the story of the legendary monkey king who escorted Xuanzang on the journey. There are three or four other famous Sutra translators. But the first Sutra translator we know today was from the ancient Parthian Empire, which controlled the Iranian Plateau and Mesopotamia. According to Chinese historical records, the Buddhist monk known in China as An Shigao was previously a crown prince of the Parthian Empire in today's Iran. But he would later renounce the throne and pass his claim to the crown to his uncle. Then he traveled to Asia as a monk. He arrived in China in the second century during the Eastern Han Dynasty. When he arrived alone, Buddhism had been recently introduced to China. Early Chinese Buddhists knew little about Buddhism's deeper meanings. Many saw it as a form of mysticism that held the secrets of immortality and eternal youth. An Shigao helped bring the real teachings of Buddhism to the masses. He spent nearly 20 years translating 41 sutras into Chinese in Luoyang, the capital of the Eastern Han. Some of his original works still exist today. His efforts facilitated the introduction of Buddhism into China. After he completed his translations, An Shigao left Luoyang to travel the eastern coastal areas. With extraordinary life experience and talent, he was believed to have magical powers. 
The most famous story about his magic involves his death. It was said that he was murdered in South China's Guangzhou, but came back to life. He then continued his trip northward. He was murdered again in today's Shaoxing, Zhejiang Province, where he finally died. He lived in China for about thirty years. However, the greatest contributions involving translation that helped link China and the West come from Xu Guangqi, a seventeenth-century official in the last years of the Ming Dynasty. He not only introduced Western science and technology to China, but also practiced it. He was better known as a scientist, agronomist, and mathematician. For most of its history, the Ming Dynasty adopted a closed-door policy that banned maritime trade. As a result, China missed out on age of discovery, but some European missionaries managed to bring Western science and instruments to China. For example, Matteo Ricci, an Italian Jesuit missionary, gifted a world map to the Ming Emperor Wang Li. Who lived during the 16th and 17th century? But who brought Ricci to the Chinese emperor? It was Xu Guangqi. When Ricci arrived in China, he made friends with a few Chinese scholars, including Xu. After Xu became an imperial official, he recommended that Ricci meet the emperor. Xu and Ricci worked together to translate several scientific works into Chinese, including Greek mathematician Euclid's masterpiece on geometry, The Elements. After Ricci died in Beijing, Xu Guangqi continued his translation work and scientific research. He went on to write one of the most important books in China's history on agricultural policy and technology. Based on Western astronomy he learned from Ricci, he led a team to formulate a new lunar calendar. This calendar served as the basis for one created in the subsequent Qing Dynasty, which is still used today. Xu purchased a lot of land in his hometown, where he planted yams and potatoes brought by Western missionaries from the Americas. These high-yielding crops. Boosted food supplies, which enabled population growth. Xu's hometown was very small at that time. It was later named Xu Jianhui to commemorate his achievements. Today, Xu Jianhui is a bustling business center in Shanghai. His tomb is located in what is today's Guangqi Park, which is also named after him. That is the end of our podcast. Thank you to our writer Song Yimin, editor and translator Li Jia, and copy editor JT. We hope you enjoyed it, and thank you for listening. See you next week.